Good morning. We are glad you, that you are here with us this morning. And let's see. Yeah, y'all all look lovely today. I think I say that every time I'm up here. My name is Jonathan Morrison, if you don't know who I am. And Russell is away with family, and he asked me to step in and deliver a message for him, which I am excited about. It is good to be here. Um, I've been away for a couple of weeks, so it's good to be back. Some of you may know, some of you may not. So I got married about what's been two two weeks now, and it was a it was a success. We're still married, which is which is good. I don't know if she realizes yet though that she has to be married to me the rest of her life. So you can tell her on your way out how how sorry you are for her that she has to live with me for the rest of her life. But uh, that's what's happening. Just so you know. Um, but we're glad that you're here with us. Um, uh, did y'all have a good Thanksgiving? Yes? Just a, I just heard two yeses, so I guess the rest of you did not have a good Thanksgiving. We, we had a good Thanksgiving. It was first Thanksgiving as a married man, which was exciting, and it was good to spend time with the family, as JJ alluded to in his opening. But um, did anybody participate in this, this Black Friday craze? Just raise your hand if you did, because I did. And it, it was pretty crazy. We, went, we had to get a washer and dryer, so we went to Sears late at night. And um, there was, I mean, it was, there were so many people, I was overwhelmed. Luckily, we found what we needed in like the first five minutes. But it, it was crazy. And it made me, made me think of, of, of just the, this, this, this time of Thanksgiving that we were in, and then the hustle and bustle of, of trying to get these things. I saw this picture that was really funny. Black Friday, when people trample others for cheap goods, mere afters after being thankful for what they already have. <laughs> but this, this kind of ties into our, our message today, in that, um, you know, our, in this um, time of Thanksgiving, in this season of Thanksgiving, are we truly thankful? Do we truly have Thanksgiving in our lives? Not for just the things that we have, but are we, are, do we give Thanksgiving to, to God? who gives us all of these things. And that, that will tie into our message as we begin this morning. And One thing I want to note is that the Bible never promises our lives will be free from pain and difficulties. Instead, the Bible promises we will have many trials and tribulations in this life. But the secret to a successful life is knowing where to turn for help when you have a problem. And the importance of being thankful and having gratitude. That's the lesson we're going to learn today from a man who had leprosy. And we're going to read about that in Luke chapter 17. If, if you have your Bible, turn to Luke 17. If you don't have a Bible, you can lift up your hand and John will come around and give you a Bible. So we have it on the screen too if, if you need it. But Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 11, reading, reading through verse 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back when he saw then one of them, when he, was, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, 
giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to them, Rise. And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. You see, as you study the New Testament, you find Jesus performed many miracles. And he he shared many parables. You need to make sure that you always take time to pause and look below the surface of Scripture. Because there are miracles that can be found in parables, and there are parables that can be found in miracles. You see, on the surface, Jesus heals ten men of leprosy, and only one returned to thank him. In addition to this miraculous healing, there are some valuable spiritual lessons to be found. And I want us to look below the, below the surface because I think that there are some important lessons that we can learn about ourselves. First of all, you have a deadly problem. We all do. And only Jesus can fix this problem. You see, as a boy in church, I, I, I can remember hearing about lepers in the Bible. And for a long time, I, I thought the preacher was saying leopards. So I, I pictured Jesus conversating with these big jungle cats, and my view of Jesus was like the superhero, Superman type figure, and he's talking to jungle cats, and you can imagine what was going on in my head. Um, but I went from jungle cats, and then I, from there I progressed into, into hearing them as being leapers, so I pictured men who were jumping around all the time. So jungle cats to men who are jumping all the time, and Jesus is talking to these crazy men who are jumping up and down. You see, it's funny the way a child's mind works, but, but there's nothing funny about leprosy. You see, in, big, in biblical times, leprosy was a terrible problem. And the word was often used to describe a variety of skin diseases. But doctors most, believe most of the people suffer with what we now call Hansen's disease, which starts with a white patch of skin and it becomes numb. So much so that the victims cannot even feel a needle piercing that spot. And the patch begins to spread over the body and often manifests itself on the face. So the disease is impossible to hide. It then begins to form spongy tumors on the face and at the same time attacks the internal organs as well. The nerve endings become numb so that the victim cannot even feel something hurting him, even like fire burning his hand. But the the leprosy itself was not necessarily fatal, but more lepers died from other diseases that they contracted because of their weakened condition. You see, at times, lepers were called the walking dead, and they were kicked out of their homes and villages and forced to live in colonies with other lepers. There were entire leper colonies. They couldn't work, and they could not go to the temple to worship. You see, even though none of us have leprosy, this could be a good description of us. Because we are all born with a deadly disease the Bible calls sin. It causes us to be spiritual outcasts. It is part of our, our genetic code, our genetic makeup. I, I got it from my parents, who got it from their parents, who got it from their parents. And it goes all the way back to this couple named Adam and Eve. The Bible says in Isaiah, Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, Children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it. 
but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Now, now these words were written some 2,700 years ago. But God could say this, the exact same thing about our culture today. The Old Testament prophets teach us God holds both individuals and nations accountable for sin and immorality. And studying prophecy is not so much about figuring out obscure symbols and signs as it is hearing God to, to tell us to repent of our sin. You see, you may feel healthy today, but, but if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, there is a terrible, invisible, insidious cancer growing inside your soul. And no MRI, no CAT scan, or, or other diagnostic tool can find it. But God's Word says it's there. So what have you either done with that, or what are you going to do about it? Now, we should do the same thing these ten men did in the scripture we read. You must admit your need and cry out to Jesus. You see, these ten men banded together, and they decided they wouldn't just give up and die. So they got up and they headed toward Jesus. And when they found Jesus, they, they didn't talk about the weather or, or Jewish politics or the chariot races. They, they had one objective, and they cried out as one voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, it, it would have been easy for these, for these ten lepers to look at each other and think, you know, uh, we're, we're not so bad off. We're, we're all in the same condition. And one of them could have said, my, my leprosy is not so bad as his, so, so I'm doing okay. Instead, they said, we, we, we've got a big problem here. We're the walking dead. We're going to die. And we need to get some help. And they thought this dude Jesus they had heard about could help them because he had been performing many miracles up until this point. You see, too many people are living in denial today. They, won't, they don't want to admit their need because they look around and they can usually find someone that's worse than themselves. Because we live in a, a, a type of spiritual leper colony in this world, there are plenty of chances to think, I'm not so bad. I've never robbed a bank. I've never murdered anyone. I'm not a drug pusher. I'm not a child molester. In fact, I'm much better than most of those hypocrites that go to church. You see, before Jesus can help you, friends, you must quit fooling yourself and admit that you have a problem. But that's not enough. You must then cry out to Jesus. And most of the help programs agree the first step for recovery is to admit, I am an alcoholic, I am addicted to pornography, I am addicted to cocaine. But that's not enough. You must seek help, as these ten men did. Before you can have a relationship with Jesus, you must say, I am a sinner. Jesus, have mercy on me. Help me, Jesus. Have you done that? Or have you been making demands of God? Have you come to a place of, of total surrender where you said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner? You see, God's power is not released until you step out in faith. You see, Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem to die on the cross to redeem mankind, yet he still had time to stop and help these ten men. You see, God is, is busy holding the universe together, but, but he still has time to hear your cry for help. 
Instead of laying hands on them, he simply said, you know, go, go show yourself to the priest. Leviticus 13 has some, some very detailed regulations about how a Jewish priest could declare a person to be clean or unclean. And these ten men knew that they were unclean. They had already been de- declared lepers. They were already living in the leper colony, separated from their friends and family. But Jesus now has brought them to a crisis of faith. Okay, they, they, they could have said, no, Jesus, you know, can't, can't you touch, come and touch us or say some words or something that, you know, that, so we can see our infected limbs healed? And, or they could have said, you know what, we, we aren't healed yet. Just look, besides, go, besides I, I went and got checked last month, I still have leprosy. I'm probably worse off than I was then. But instead, all of them headed off to see the priest. And as they were going, it says they were healed. See, there's a powerful lesson about faith here. It wasn't until they stepped out in faith and obeyed Jesus that they experienced his healing power. Jesus gave them the word. They stepped out in faith, and boom, that's when it happened. They didn't stand there and say, well, you know, after you heal me, Jesus, then I'll go show myself to the priest. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll do it after, after you, you perform the miracle. That, that, that's the way faith works. Faith is trusting and obeying God, even if you don't have any visible, physical evidence supporting your decision. I love the story in Matthew chapter 14 about the, the disciples of Jesus out on the boat in the middle of a stormy night. And Jesus came walking on the water to them. And they were terrified, and they thought he was some kind of a ghost. I would have too, I must admit. If you see a man walking on the water in the middle of a stormy night, on, you're on a boat. It'd be pretty. I think I would be frightened, actually. But Jesus told them, don't be afraid. Simon, Simon Peter, who was always shooting off his mouth, blurted out, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to walk on the water with you. And Jesus said, come on. Now here's a picture of faith. Peter threw his leg over the side of the boat and he started walking towards Jesus on the water. Now now you may think Peter was walking on water, but really he was walking on the word of God. Because Jesus told him to step out and walk, and he did. If Jesus hadn't told him to step out on the water, Peter probably would have sank like a rock. And when Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and started looking at the wind and the waves, he probably began to think, this is impossible. I can't be walking on this water. There's no way. And when he took his eyes off Jesus and began to doubt, he began to sink. And Jesus grabbed him up and said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you begin to doubt me? You see, faith is walking on the Word of God. Faith doesn't need any evidence. It simply obeys. This book is full of God's directions on how we are to live, but with every single directive, he also provides the power to accomplish it. Our job is to step out in faith and simply obey Him. I I heard a quote about faith once that said, Faith is coming to the edge of all you can see and feel and taking one more step into the darkness, trusting that God will either catch you or teach you how to fly. So what is God telling you to do in His Word? What are you waiting for? 
Step out in faith and obey Him. And only then will you experience His mighty power. And then it is good to spend time at the feet of Jesus. It is good to spend time at the feet of Jesus. You see, on the way to the priest, one of the guys looked at, looked at the other and, and probably said, Hey, uh, James, uh, your skin's healed, dude. It's clean. And he looked at his own hand and the color and, and life returned. And they began to look at each other and suddenly they realized they were healed. And, and, and the excitement was built and you can see them jumping up and down and hugging one another and saying, We're healed, we're clean. And, and these, these lepers had become leapers indeed. I was an attempt at a bad joke. At this point, we don't know what happened to 90% of the group. Perhaps they journeyed on to show themselves to the priests, or maybe they ran back to their families. We don't know, but one of them could have said, you know, I, I want to see if this really lasts first, you know, or, or I was getting better anyways. It was probably just my good exercise and, exercise and diet that did it. But, but we know from Jesus' response that only one of them did the right thing. He wasn't content just to go and see the priest. He turned back to Jesus and fell at his feet to give him thanks. He wanted a relationship, not a religion. You see, falling at someone's feet is a picture of submission and worship. Mary spent time at the feet of Jesus when he came to to have supper at her house. The woman at Simon's house Uh, spent time at the feet of Jesus, washing his feet with her tears. In the book of Revelation, the 24 elders who represent all the redeemed of all the ages will bow before the Lamb who is on the throne. You see, it is good to spend time at the feet of Jesus. Here's the key lesson in that. Ten men were exposed to God's power, but only one sought a personal relationship with Him. Nine of the men were content to receive the blessing of God, but only one of them cared enough to return to the source of the blessing of worshiping God. And that's so true today as well. God's blessing are poured out on all people, not just His children. God makes it rain on the just and the unjust alike, but only a relatively few are interested in having a personal relationship with God. We can ask ourselves, have you found that you only come to God when you have a shopping list of things that you want from Him. Or maybe you you use God like a heavenly 911 call. Help God, I have an emergency, bail me out. I'll do everything you ever ask if you just do this one thing for me. I think we've probably all been there. But God loves you and wants wants you to spend time with Him. He desires for your worship and fellowship with Him. You see, feeling thankful is different than just giving thanks. The man threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. The most amazing thing about this miracle is that out of ten people who were healed, only one came back to say, thank you. Jesus even took note of this in verse 17. He asked, were not ten who were cleansed? Where are the other nine? Note his next words carefully because he is identifying himself as God. He asks, was no one found to give praise to God except this foreigner? 
When the man came and fell at the feet of Jesus to say thank you, Jesus said it was giving praise to God. And I believe that God is still saddened by how few people actually express thanksgiving to Him. Many of us are, are, are too busy to stop and acknowledge God and simply say, thank you, God. Or they have convinced themselves that they deserve everything they have, so why, why do I need to thank God? The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians, it says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I've been asked many times, how can I find God's will for my life? Well, you can start by reading his word. And this verse says clearly and plainly, God's will for your life is that you give thanks in all circumstances. So if you aren't obeying that portion of his will for your life, what makes you think he's going to reveal any more of it? Give thanks. That's the key. Not merely to feel thankful. Now I'm certainly... The other nine lepers were thankful about being cleansed. How could anyone not feel thankful after being healed of a deadly disease? But only one of the ten did the right thing by coming to Jesus and expressing thanksgiving. There's a tremendous difference between simply feeling gratitude and expressing gratitude. Now, now, now let's say something, someone does something nice for me, and I look at that person and think, my, I'm, I'm so thankful for what Jack has done for me. But if that's all I do, I, I miss a chance to be a blessing to that person. But if I write them a thank you note or speak to them maybe publicly like this and say, Jack, I, I really appreciate that you're getting me season tickets to the Rockets, then Jack feels blessed as well. I hope that's prophetic, Jack. <laughs> when God... With God, don't just feel thankful. Give thanks. The Bible says in in, in Hebrews chapter 13, Through Him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. It says the fruit of lips, not a warm, fuzzy feeling in your heart. Don't just feel it. Tell God how thankful you are. But you aren't just to thank God for the good things in life. First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians, again, it says, we are to give thanks in all circumstances. So whatever happens, you can always find something for which you can give God thanksgiving. Matthew Henry was an early American preacher, and many pastors have a, a copy of his commentary on the Bible. Once while traveling to preach, Matthew Henry was robbed. Now, most people wouldn't think that this is a circumstance in which you would give thanks. But he did. He wrote, I am thankful that during these years I have never been robbed before. And thankful also that even though they took my money, they did not take my life. And thankful although that they took all that I had, it was not much. But finally, I am grateful that it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. We ought to try that. If you are going through a time of pain and difficulty, why don't you try to find at least some things about your situation for which you can thank God? 
I've often wondered as I read about this, his, this healing of the ten lepers, if Jesus was trying to tell us about the 90% of us who don't thank God enough. Don't be like the unthankful crowd. Determine that you're going to be like the one man who returned to give thanks to Jesus. You see, a relationship with Jesus makes you a foreigner in this world. Jesus pointed out that the one man that returned was a Samaritan, a foreigner. And more than that, the Jews hated Samaritans. They thought they were dogs. So he acted differently than the 90% of the other lepers. I believe there is a a powerful lesson there for us as as well. Those of us who have entered into a relationship with Jesus don't act or think like the other people. We're always in the minority about the way we act and the way we think. We never quite feel at home in this world. And we shouldn't. The Bible says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's in Philippians 3. It doesn't matter where you came from. It's your destination that is most important. You see, although we are citizens of Houston, Texas, and the United States, our main citizenship is in heaven. That's why we often feel like foreigners in this place at times. Now, whenever I've been away from home, away from my family on, on a mission trip, I, I always feel the tug of home. And, and I realize I'm only in the foreign land for a short time, but, but soon I'll be returning home, and, and I, I feel the same way about heaven. It says in First Peter, I urge you as strangers and aliens in this world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. I'm going to read it again. First Peter 2. I urge you as strangers and aliens in this world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. You see, just as this one man, a foreigner, acted differently from the crowd, so should we. Think, think of it like this. If you're... Uh, in a marching band, marching in a parade. And all the band members are walking in, in perfect rhythm except you who's totally out of step because you're listening to your iPod that has a totally different tune playing and it's different from what everyone else is hearing. That's the picture of us. We are marching to a different beat than the world because we're listening to a different music, the Word of God. And if you aren't listening to the Word of God, you're going to be in sync with the rest of the world. Let Jesus finish what He started in you. Look again at Jesus' final words to this man in verse 19. He said, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Concentrate on that last word. It's the word in the Greek which means saved. It's the same word the Philippian jailer used in Acts 16 when he said, what must I do to be saved? The word means to be made whole or complete. Jesus didn't come to the earth to heal people of diseases. Otherwise, he would have established the Jesus Memorial Hospital for for sick people. He came to this world to seek and save the lost. He came to make people whole. Here's the result of this miracle. Ten men were cleansed, but only one man became whole. Ninety percent of them only received a small portion of what could have been theirs, and only one received full salvation. My friends, Jesus wants to do more than just clean you up. 
He wants to make you whole and complete. One of my favorite promises is found in Philippians 1, verse 6. It says, He who began a good work in you will carry it out until the day of Christ Jesus. You see, it's a process. Have you simply approached Jesus because you want eternal fire insurance? Or are you continuing at his feet daily so that he can make you whole? I don't know why you came to church today, but I know why Jesus died on the cross over 2,000 years ago and is still here today. It's, he wants to make you whole. You know, at times I'm brought to tears when I think about this because I was as good as death. And Jesus touched me and he gave me hope. He not only cleansed me of my sin, but he is making me whole. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be like those nine men who, who, who want, I want to be like the one who says, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for me. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving me a great salvation. Now, everyone in here is brought to a crisis of faith. And you have to decide a few things. If you don't know Jesus, you have to decide, what am I going to do with him? Am I going to allow him to make me whole? There's some of you in here that have have maybe just claimed Jesus to know Jesus, and he just cleaned you up a little bit and just cleaned up the outside. But you need him to make you whole on the inside. And for those of you that, that, that he has made you whole, are you spending time at the feet of Jesus daily? Are you marching to the tune of the Word of God and not to something else? That's what I want you to think about as you leave here today. But I urge you, if you have not made the decision for Jesus to make you whole, allow Him to do that this morning. It says in Romans that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that He was raised from the dead, you will be saved. It's as simple as that. Confessing and believing in your heart. Pray with me.